Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. Today we're picking up our study of the book of Acts. We have gotten through the account in Acts chapter 5 of what occurred with Ananias and Sapphira. And we're going to pick up in verse 12 through 16 of Acts chapter 5. Jacob, would you mind reading those, please? Yeah, it says, At the, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and increasingly believers in the Lord, large numbers of men, of men, excuse me, of men and women, were being added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. The people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem. We're coming together as well, bringing people who were sick or tormented with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. You know, after after what happened with Ananias and Sapphira and the death of those two individuals, we see a, a period of peaceful growth characterized by the apostles performing miracles. And these miracles, by the way, were performed to confirm the message to demonstrate the truthfulness of what they were teaching as well as the divine origin of the teaching. Mark chapter 16 and verse 20 tells us about the confirming nature of the miracles. Also Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. I think it's apparent in the early days of the church that there in Jerusalem the brethren would meet in Solomon's porch in the temple. If you can recall from our last episode, Solomon's porch was along the whole eastern side of the temple enclosure, extending from the top of the wall back into the temple area. The roof was held up by two rows of columns, 37 feet high, and the whole porch was 60 feet wide. So we can see that it was very easily that a large number of people could fit into this particular space. The idea expressed in verse 13 yet none of the people dared join them. It's kind of interesting to me. I think it's probably that the people in general did not join with them in their assemblies, but they were watching. For the simplest and best explanation I have found of this, I'll read to you from J.A. Alexander's commentary on the Acts of the Apostles. I like what he said. He said, and I quote, And as they gradually formed the habit of assembling daily in the porch of Solomon, no others ventured to mix with them there, but the people were contented to look on as mere spectators from the courts adjoining and continually magnifying, admiring, and praising these as a company among whom God was present in a new and most extraordinary manner. You know, one of the things I thought of when I read this this morning was uh, what what a parallel there is to uh, Jesus, uh, the apostles healing the uh, the sick people, and the the work of evangelism. Because to me, this is just a great picture of what it's supposed to look like. 
when you learn that there are people present, there, there is someone here who can help you, who has, uh, who has the knowledge to help you, and you know of someone that needs that knowledge, well, that's what you do is you bring them to these people because you love them and you want them to, to, to be healed. So all these sick uh, coming from all over, uh, multitudes gathering from surrounding cities coming to Jerusalem, bringing sick people. Uh, that's really what it's all about. Why, why would be, we be more concerned about the physical welfare of people when there's something much more uh, valuable and abiding that is present? Yeah, I think verse 15 certainly sticks out to the, the piece of um, they would bring those out into the streets and lay them on cots and pallets just to have Peter come by and at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Um, shows certainly just the this is Ross was talking about from um, maybe on the other side of them looking for the truth on the other side of the evangelism and looking to be healed um, and just to have at the, at the very least Peter's shadow falling on them um, certainly shows the the um, curiosity the desire that they had to want to know what is happening and to and to be healed and and as it says um, there was great many number that was added to added to it the church at this point verse 14 and it's going to continue that as well just how exciting and and just wondrous this must have been as far as the people were concerned they were witnessing these men these apostles performing miracles healings things of that nature and it just just think about going into an area and bringing something entirely new as far as teaching was concerned. And being able to back that up with the working of miracles really shows how God set it up with the apostles as far as them having the ability to perform miracles, confirming the word with signs following. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening here. And not only did the people come to the apostles from the city of Jerusalem, but people came from the cities in close proximity to Jerusalem. They were bringing those who were sick, those who were afflicted with unclean spirits. Uh, it is important to remember that not all sicknesses were caused by demons. There are cases where it did appear that a demon did cause a particular affliction of one sort or another, but not in all cases. As these people were brought to the apostles, their afflictions were taken care of. I think it's important that we mention something. I don't know of a time when the apostles failed after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ as far as performing a miracle was concerned. We are told they were all being healed. Just contrast that today with so many people who claim to have miraculous power to heal. There were no failures as far as the apostles were concerned. There were no excuses being given for the miracles not taking place. These miracles were actually taking place. They were taking uh, events occurring, and people were being moved by what they saw. Yeah, Greg, I wanted to mention one more thing pertaining to verse 13, which you talk, talked about. I think you have a good explanation there. I just wanted to highlight the difference today with the way people responded to the Ananias and Sapphira incident because I hear a lot of times people the sentiment that says 
Uh, I would never serve a God who would allow this awful thing to happen. Uh, but verse 11 said, great fear came upon all the people. And verse 13, it doesn't read, none of the rest dared join them because they would never serve a God like that. It says, they esteemed them highly. And so there, there was, there, one thing was accomplished for sure. And that was God had taught these people uh, that, uh, that sin is abhorrent and that, uh, and that their conduct definitely mattered in the church and that, the, that his, his followers would, would, would strive for righteousness. Okay, let's go ahead and pick up the reading and look at verses 17 on down through verse 25. Verses 17 through 25. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. You know, it's interesting because in verse 17, it says, Then the high priest. Well, we don't know exactly who is being talked about here. Was it Annas? who was the high priest as far as the Jewish people were concerned, or was it Caiaphas, the one who had been placed in that office or in that position by the Roman oppressors? We just don't know. But we do know that whoever it was, Caius or Annas, he rose up and began to take action once again. Now, his associates in this action against the apostles were members of the Sanhedrin, but I think it's also important to mention that they were, for the most part, Sadducees. The teaching related to the resurrection of Jesus would especially infuriate this group of people because they denied the possibility of a resurrection. They were enraged because of the people's enthusiasm for the apostles. They obviously viewed this just as they had viewed the popularity of Jesus as a threat to their own positions and as a threat to their control over the people. There is probably also no doubt that the fact that the apostles were preaching and teaching in open defiance of their command to Peter and John just served to make themselves even more angry. Uh, you gotta, you got to kind of laugh when you think about... Uh the response of these leaders who went seeking their seeking their captives in the prison, you know, when I read uh, that uh, says, um, you know, they went there and they found the doors shut um, and no one inside. 
then and then he hears, "Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people." That this was, this is like a flashback to the day before. And you, I don't know. I you know jokingly just thought to myself, he probably wondered, "Wait, did I dream that I had arrested these <laughs> these people?" Because this is right back square one to where they were. This was the problem yesterday. And he, he just thought he had it uh, all all buttoned up. And a couple days ago uh, in our podcast, we read from, from the Psalms, Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot vain things? And when it comes to caging God, caging God's word, uh, there, there's just nothing that you can do to stop that. It's like when we studied Jesus in the garden and they bound him. You can't bind uh, Jesus. Uh, and so from a human perspective, think for, we need to start thinking in terms of with God all things are possible and, and stop, stop worrying so much when we see life uh, closing prison doors around us. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think the end of verse 24 is, is an interesting aspect of certainly their viewpoint and, and a very understatable one is they're greatly perplexed. It talks about the end of verse 24, the, the, talking of the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest there. and um, Definitely understandable. I mean, the it was described as they found the prison locked quite securely. There was guards standing at the doors, and when we opened them, there's no one in there. And so that would definitely, for anybody, make anyone uh, greatly perplexed. But also the piece of um, them wondering what was to come of this, I think, is a interesting piece and a concern of for, for them of what was going to happen. And that, um, you know, I think they definitely could tell there, there was something more than just man going on. I think you can see that even back in Chapter 4 with the a miracle of the lame beggar that was healed and that they we can't deny this has happened um, and so we're just going to tell them to stop I think in here for example it's a similar thought process of this was guarded up locked and secured and they're gone so what what's going to come out of this um, I think is a is an interesting idea of of what their concerns are at this time it's kind of interesting to watch the actions of the angel what he was there to do uh, he opened the door of the prison at night so that the men could escape. And then the angel proceeded to give them instructions concerning where to go and what to do when they got there. They were to go to the temple and do the very things that had gotten them arrested in the first place. Speak to the people the gospel, the whole message of this life. I like that. This life, I think, speaks of the eternal life about which the apostles taught. A life available to all because of the resurrection of Jesus. And as I read it, that's exactly what they did. At about daybreak, when people would have been coming to the temple to offer the morning sacrifices, there they were, teaching the whole message of this life and doing so boldly defying the very charge of the Sanhedrin not to teach or even allow the name of Jesus to pass through their lips anymore. What courage these men displayed. Yeah, think, think about the boldness you would have, though, after an angel comes to you and, and breaks you out of prison. Everybody like, loves a good prison break story, but <laughs> if you're the, one of these men commanded to go preach, uh, you would probably felt invincible at this point. I mean, what can man do to me? 
And isn't it sad that, you know, we don't always feel that way, you know? We may not sit in expectation that an angel is going to come and deliver us from every hardship in life, but we we serve a God with the power to do that. And it's it's great that we are on the side of those who don't have to who don't have to wonder what an outcome will be, because if you're on God's side, the outcome isn't left to to mere chance. Uh, God controls this life, and His will will be done. So we can have the same kind of confidence, uh, boldness, courage, and comfort that the the apostles had. Again, I find it interesting, the reaction of the people to what they're seeing take place. We find they're, they're, they're just literally confounded, in a good way, by the works that these apostles are able to perform. I like the fact that the high priest and his uh, Sadducean associates, I'll call them, uh, not knowing that the apostles were no longer in the prison, convened evidently early that morning and called for the entire Sanhedrin to come together, which appears to be the meaning of even all of the Senate of the Sons of Israel. When they came together, what did they do? They sent officers to the prison to get the apostles and to bring them before the Sanhedrin for trial. But the officers who were sent, and these probably would have been Jewish officers, perhaps part of the temple guard, when they came, when they came, they obviously did not find the apostles there and came back and reported what they had found. They had found the prison securely locked and guards standing on duty at the doors. But when they opened the doors, the apostles were not there. Now, we're not told so specifically, but it seems that the only plausible explanation is that God supernaturally prevented the guards from witnessing what the angel had done. While the Sanhedrin and the captain of the temple guard, whose men had been sent, were wondering what in the world was going on and how this was all going to turn out, probably beginning <coughs> excuse me, probably beginning to come up with an explanation that would protect themselves, they were informed that the very men they had put into prison the day before were once again standing in the temple and teaching the people. They had to wonder, what in the world do we have to do to stop these people? Anybody? Okay, let's pick up at verse 26 and read on down through verse 32. Verse 26 through verse 32. I'll go ahead with that. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you have murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and the savior, to give for repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who heard him. The captain of the temple guard, he was responsible for order on the temple grounds 
This time he did not merely send some of his men to arrest the apostles. He went along with them as well. This was turning out to be a special case that had to be handled very carefully. The arrest, you might note, was handled without violence. These were popular men, and violent treatment of them would have enraged the people and jeopardized the safety of the guard itself. All of the apostles stand before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I'm 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 amazed at at just how uh, amazingly the culture has changed. Just what a swing has taken place in two months or you know in just just a short amount of time we went from uh peter being uh questioned you also were with this man and he cursed and swore i do not know him we've come full circle completely because at this point these men and their teaching and their power is so popular that even the rulers of the people uh are, would not rule out the possibility that they themselves should be stoned for their mistreatment. That's that's uh, saying quite a bit. And uh, I gotta I gotta believe that the reaction to well the commandment did we not tell you to uh, to not speak in his name? Just notice how unabashed how how boldly they did this. There was no toning it down. You know, it's like okay, we're gonna still teach, but but let's just kind of keep a lower profile. I mean, the angel commanded, go stand in the temple. I mean, you can't get more public profile than that. So when it comes to obeying God rather than men, that is an uncompromising position. It isn't one for measured measured action at that point. We obey God and we make no uh, excuses or compromises about it. To the change aspect, I think... Then the verse 28 is interesting when they talk about um, that they're teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Back in Matthew 27, verse 25, is when so they, it was said that you know, his blood be on us and our children. And so uh, not, you know, it's not necessarily saying it's the exact same group, but I'm sure there was some overlap in between those two groups and those, those chapters. And so it's interesting, the, the change. And, and also from the teaching of the gospel standpoint, that's exactly the goal, to bring this man's blood on, on whoever we're speaking with, that we all are guilty of sin, guilty of what Jesus had to go through, but we also have the responsibility to be washed by and in his blood. And so it's a, um, a great example, I think, to as Ross was talking about, the, the change that has happened, and also the, kind of the, the, um, the goal and the point of evangelism and that this, for, for Peter and the apostles, wasn't going to, to stop them. And I love the, the courage piece that we continue to see throughout all of it. I mean, imagine saying in verse 30, talking about the God of our fathers. So this, you know, talking, this is bringing in the aspect of the Old Testament. And prior times, it's the same God raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. And so even the... You know, pointing at th- this was, you know, to some very powerful people 
um, in a physical sense, you did this, and the the courage in that it is amazing, and certainly something to learn from. I kind of like the uh, expression of Peter and what he had to tell them when he said in verse twenty nine, "We ought to obey God rather than men." Well, the Sadducees knew that. They they knew that that was a true statement. That if there came a time when something that man was teaching or man was demanding was contrary to what God's word had to say or what God's word had commanded, it was God's word that was to be followed and not the teaching of men. You know, there's a conflict between commands given by human authorities and commands given by God. So we must choose who we're going to obey. And the obvious example with the apostles was they were obeying obeying God. It's the same thing that happens to us at times. We have to make up a choice. When, when we are confronted, we have to decide are we going to stand with the world and with men or are we going to stand with God? And the answer to that question is we must obey God rather than men. Let's, I'll tell you what, we're getting to Gamaliel now. That, I think, is a good place to stop, and we'll pick up tomorrow's episode talking about Gamaliel. But we want to thank each and every one of you who has listened today. We are so appreciative of your attention to these things that relate to spiritual matters. We encourage you to contact us by going to the website, www.nkcofc.com, and we'll be more than willing to do anything we can to help you further your knowledge of the gospel. Until that time then, thanks for listening.